The words are already on the screen. We are looking at John chapter 13, the first 17 verses in the Bible says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my heads as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Heavenly Father, we come with humility, Lord, to listen to you this morning. We pray for understanding. We pray for conviction. We pray for open hearts, Lord, to hear and to listen what you are speaking to us, Lord, today. And Father, we pray that we may be those that will follow the example of the humble servant who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we are approaching Easter. We will be celebrating Easter in two weeks. And the context of our story today happens at a time whereby a time is really approaching very quickly for Jesus to be nailed on the cross. And they are sat there in the upper room, reclining at the table, having the last supper that Jesus would have with his disciples before he is taken away to be crucified. Now John is quick to mention here that it is during the Passover festival which is nearly approaching. Now what was this Passover festival and what is its relevance here? The Passover festival is a festival that the children of Israel will celebrate among other festivals that they will travel all over where they lived and they will con congregate in Jerusalem to celebrate. 
Andrew looked last Sunday on Psalm 130, 131, some of the Psalms that the children of Israel would sing on their journey to Jerusalem to celebrate some of these feasts. And the Passover was very important because they were commemorating the time when they were in Egypt, when God delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, when they had to, to, to slaughter a lamb and, and paint their door frames with the blood of the lamb, so that when the angel of the Lord passed, he would pass over their houses because of the blood, and then they were not a victim of the death and destruction that came to Pharaoh and the, chil- and the children of Egypt. So it was this time, this period, where there was a lot of traveling for people going to Jerusalem to commemorate this festival, that Jesus is having this uh, this supper with his disciples. You can read that in Exodus 12. Now, you also have to understand that the culture at this time was that the roads were very dusty. There were no pavements, no tarmac roads. So people used to walk almost everywhere. And they used to have sandals as their shoes. Now, when you would approach someone's house, or if you are invited as a guest in someone's house, the first thing they would do before you enter the house, they would offer you water so that you can wash off the dust from your feet or the mud from your feet before you can go into the house. Now, this job of someone offering you water was a job of the lowest of the lowest servants that would give you this water to wash off your feet because it was something very low. Or someone who is so humble and generous would be able to do it, but in most cases it used to be the lowest of the lowest servants who would wash feet. Now when they were seated at this table, Luke tells us in his account of the, of the Last Supper that they were arguing about themselves. And they were arguing who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You can read that in Luke chapter 22. So they are at a meal, having this meal with Jesus. They haven't washed their feet. And they are having a meal, reclining at a low table. And they are arguing who is the greatest among them. Now Jesus does not condemn them of their argument. He does not start lecturing them of why they are arguing. He goes ahead and shows them an example that will show them what kind of love he needs them to be demonstrating. Now, Jones also points out that having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved the world. John tells us in 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he's telling us here also that Jesus loved his own. These are the guys that Jesus had worked with. He had picked them single-handedly. He had trained them. He had worked with them. And he was so much in love with them. And not only this, but he had loved the entire world. And he had spread the gospel of love everywhere that he went. So, he is there loving these guys. But you must understand that these guys that he is loving, these guys were not so much lovable. It is so easy for you and I to love people that love us back. But at this time, Jesus, 
who is God and in his foreknowledge, he knows each of these guys individually. He knows what they are. He knows where their hearts are. He knows that in a few hours, Judas Iscariot is going to betray him. He knows in a few hours that he's going to be arrested and all of these disciples are going to run away from him. He knows very well in a couple of hours, Peter is going to deny him. Then he knows in a couple of hours, he's going to be nailed on the cross, humiliated and crucified. Yet, he doesn't focus on himself. He looks upon others that are around him. So, the story tells us that he stands up and he takes off his outer garment and he takes a basin and water and starts washing his disciples' feet. Now, there is a big picture here. We are told by John that Jesus came from the Father. Jesus is God. As, as Adrian unpacked last Sunday, John 1.1, 1, 1, you know, the word became fresh. Jesus came from God. He is God in the flesh. But yet, just as he had unpacked himself, just as he had removed his garment of glory and honor and came down and stepped into the darkness, he is also removing his outer garment, which would symbolize his honor and glory. And he is exposing himself by removing his outer garment and taking a basin, wrapping himself in a towel and getting on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. What he did was the lowest of the lowest things everybody, anybody would have done. And the, the, um, the, the surprising thing in it is that his disciples previously were arguing who is the greatest. Why were they arguing? Because they were looking at Jesus as their master. They, are look, they were looking at him as their teacher. They were looking at him as, as rabbi, someone who they will look up to. And their argument, their real argument of them wanting to be greater was they were looking for who is going to be number two to Jesus. Previously, in the previous chapter, we see two sons of Zebedee going to Jesus and saying, I want us to be sitting on the right and on the left. Everybody was infighting, wanting to be closer to Jesus, to be number two. Because they recognized and knew that Jesus is a teacher. He is a king. But they had got it all wrong. Because Jesus, as he would say later, my kingdom is not of this world. They were interested in the Jesus, the earthly king, yet Jesus was the heavenly king. So I just want to draw a few things from this story and this example that will help us to understand. Because Jesus will go ahead in verse 34 and he will teach his disciples and say that the world will know you by your love for each other. But before he goes ahead in verse 34 and teaches them a lesson in love, he shows them an example in love. So we can learn from this example. The first thing we learn from this example is the freedom to love. Christ's love should be a reality in our lives. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. He had laid down his glory and come from God to step into darkness to come for the sake of you and I. And Jesus knew where he had come from 
He had the capacity to love because he knew, he had no doubt about what is happening around him. He had no concern about what was going around him because he knew where he had come from. Now you and I can get stuck in the past. We can get stuck in the past, struggling with our past, struggling with our past failures and mistakes. We can start working through our past, working through and haunted by the past that is in us. And that diminishes our capacity to love in the present. Why? Because we are stuck in the past. And the biggest problem of us getting stuck in the past, the Bible tells us that we have an accuser, the devil, who accuses us day and night before God. Now, he revisits all our failures, all of our shortcomings. He revisits that and communicates it to the Father constantly. But there is good news that Jesus, the Passover lamb, would die for our sins, would wash our sins away. So no longer the past is getting hold of us. But we are clean because Jesus has washed our sins. I want you to know this morning, if you are stuck in your past, in your past failures and sins, I want you to know that Jesus' blood covers your sins. You do not have to get hold of your past. You do not have to be held hostage by your past mistakes. But not only did Jesus knew where he came from, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Another mistake we make, not only are we held up by our past, but we are so much concerned with our future. What are we going to eat? What kind of relationships are we going to have? Are we going to make it tomorrow? What kind of financial situations are we going to encounter? And we get worried about the future because in our worries, in our doing, our future is uncertain. But Jesus secures our future by rising from the dead. And he secures our future by promising us eternal life. Now, if our future is secured, and if our past is forgiven and forgotten, then we have the freedom to love in the meantime. Paul puts it this way. He says that of these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. If faith takes care of my past and hope takes care of my future, we are going to heaven. Our future is secured. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Then I can love in the present. Faith makes all things possible. Hope makes all things inevitable. But love makes all things enjoyable. So Jesus could love because he had the freedom to love. He knew where he was coming from. He knew where we are going. And you and I, if we know where we are going, if we know that our past has been forgiven, then we can have the freedom and liberty to love. Not only that, but there is also the cost of love. We see that there is a need that Jesus identifies. As he's sitting, reclining on the table with these 12 guys, he notices something. He, he, he can smell the stench that is coming from their dirty feet. But instead of Jesus complaining about the stench, instead of telling his disciples off about dirty feet, 
he gets up and he does something about it. I want to tell you, if you are to love, there will be interruptions in your life. You have to be ready to get out of the table. You have to be ready for your peace to be interrupted. You are going to meet people. You are going to meet situations. If you are to love those people, you have to let go of what you are doing, of yourself, of your interests, and you have to go leaving your interests. And that is the cost that will be associated with love. But I want also to encourage you that if you are not willing to wash feet, if you are not willing to be interrupted and go forth and do something about what is happening, what you can see, then you have no reason to talk about that defeat. Because the problem that we have is that we are so much entangled into talking about that defeat. We like picking mistakes that other people are doing. We like identifying the wrongs that are in other people. But we are not doing anything about it. The example of Jesus here is telling us, if you identify a fault, then do something about it. But if you are not doing anything about it, then you have no right to speak about it. Because if you do, you are putting judgment on your fellow brothers and on your sisters. So I can either be the someone who will talk about that, or I myself can be someone who will be involved in tendering and loving. We are so good at pointing fingers, so we need to leave that. Jesus shows us a great sense of humility. And humility recognizes that no task is beneath us. So for the sake of Christ, no task should be beneath us. Sometimes we look at things and we say, I can't do that because I am so special. I can't get involved in that because I'm so special. I want you to realize that no task should be beneath you. I was so encouraged a couple of years ago, probably nine years or I've lost my memory, when I came to Beacon Church, to New Frontiers, and I worshipped for the first time we were meeting at the theater in Adelstone. What struck me most, and coming from a Pentecostal background, what struck me most was the humility of the elders. It really shocked me to find elders who are moving chairs, who are serving on tables, who are doing the most of the basic tasks anybody can do. And coming from a Pentecostal background where sometimes you would never even see the pastor worshipping with other believers, he will just appear from the curtain somewhere two minutes to the preach and people will be jeering and jumping and shouting and he will come to deliver the word. But the humility I found of elders serving and they are still doing even up to now. That is the humility. That is the example that Jesus wants us to follow. That no task should be beneath us. We should strip down to the lowest and be able to do that. When they were complaining in Luke 22, Jesus tells them, the kings of the Gentiles 
is Lord over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who sits at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. Wow. I thought sitting at the table was the greater thing. I thought having the front seat was the greater thing. I thought that being recognized and being appreciated and lifted up, it is the greater thing. But Jesus says, no. The greater thing is you being the servant. It is you serving others. That is the greater thing. Paul will speak later to a church in Philippi and he will tell them, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking on your own interests, but the interests of others. And Paul will go ahead and give them the example of Jesus, who being equality with God, thought of that as nothing but lowered himself to a place of a servant and took away our sins. That is how much love will cost you. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your money. It will cost you some time your peace. But you will be blessed greatly if you go out and be interrupted and reach out to those that are in need. We also see in this story the difficulties with love. Humility requires not only just giving but receiving. We read that Jesus came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. That's, that's harsh. That's really harsh. Peter says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And at this time, I'm just thinking, Peter, who has been sitting there looking, looking at Jesus wash other disciples, he's, he's kind of with pride, thinking, he's not going to wash my feet. And we can meet people who are proud to receive. Because they think that they are so better than you that they don't need to receive from you. So many people are rejecting the gospel not because that not because you know they hate the gospel but they hate the fact that they 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 need to admit that there is dirt on them and they are so full of themselves so proud of themselves thinking that i am clean they are confident in their own skin now it would have served peter well in his own thinking for him to be the one that will wash jesus feet he would have really been proud if he would have washed Jesus' feet. But he felt so bad because he missed that opportunity to wash Jesus' feet. So when Jesus, his master and Lord, comes to wash his feet, he cannot bear it. Not only pride, but it might be he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed. How can my Lord and Savior wash my feet? And they are people among us. There are situations and time where we are embarrassed of who we are. We are embarrassed of what we have done. 
And we feel guilty to come before God because of our embarrassment, because of our shame. I want to tell you, we have a loving father. There is nothing that is embarrassing to him. You can come with your sin. You can come with your embarrassment. You can come with those moments that you feel, I cannot share this with anybody. And we have a loving father, a loving Lord who will come before you and care and nature you. But we not only see there being pride in this case, but we also see that there is a sense of a sense of defeat. A sense of defeat in the nature that Peter goes on to say, Jesus goes on to to tell Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. And and Peter realized his craving is for Christ. His craving is for fellowship with Christ. His, His craving is to be close to Jesus. And he realized, oh my goodness, I am defeated. I am defeated in my pride. I am defeated in my shame. And then Peter goes on ahead and says, Jesus, don't just wash wash my feet, but give me a bath. Wash my head and my whole body. Now I want to tell you, you will meet people who won't want you to wash their feet, but they will want you to give them a bath. You will meet people who will be over-dependent on you. They will want to manipulate you as a Christian, manipulate your faith for you just to stay on them doing things for them. They fail to realize that they have already had a bath. But they are just kept on asking more. And they will feel you... Make you feel guilty. Make you doubt your Christianity. Tell you what kind of a Christian are you if you don't do that. So they will get you to, to, they will get dependency on you, depend on you. I want to tell you that you are not God. You need to have grace enough to tell people, I am not God. You need to depend on God. I'm going to be guided by the Holy Spirit to serve you, to help you, but ultimately look up to God. Because Jesus tells Peter, you do not need a bath because you are clean. And you are clean because you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. I want you to recognize the fact that you are clean. You do not need a bath, but you need your feet. To be, to be washed. Because so many a times we are, we are walking in fear. We are walking in, 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 in a place whereby we are so vulnerable, not realizing that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to tell Peter, you are clean, so you only need your feet to be washed. But this is a picture a metaphor that Jesus is showing here. It's not just about washing feet. Jesus is showing these guys a bigger picture, a bigger picture that he's going to do, a bigger role that he's going to play, and that is being the Lord and Savior who cleanses their sins, who washes their shame away. So washing of feet is a picture of the work of the cross. 
The deeper meaning there is no place in his fellowship for those who have not been cleansed by his atoning death. There is no place. Because he will say that not all of you are clean, referring to Judas who will betray him. Judas who will die before Jesus even dies on the cross. So Jesus, in other words, is saying, if you don't get your feet washed, if you don't allow me to wash you with my blood that I will spill at Calvary, you have no fellowship with me. You are already clean because you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. But then, if I am clean, as Jesus says, you are clean, why do I need washing feet? Why do I need cleansing? You need cleansing because Jesus is the eternal one. He's the omniscient one. Just as we saw in John 1.1, we see here that Jesus is the omniscient one. He knew the hour had come for him to return to the Father, where he had come from. And he knew the time has come for him to lay his life down. We see also Jesus being the loving one. He knew all that about his disciples. He knew everything about what was going to happen. But yet, he loved these guys enough to wash their feet. Jesus being the sovereign one, he knew that everything the Father has is his. He had given him everything in his hands. Yet, he picked up a towel and humbled himself to serve others. We see Jesus depicted here as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. We see him becoming the law of the lowest. We see him later being despised and rejected by men. But not only does cleansing show us who Jesus is, but also cleansing is necessary because of who we are. We need cleansing. As Romans tells us that, Lord, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. We need cleansing. Because John first says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we sit pretty and say that we are not sinners, we do not need any cleaning, we are deceiving ourselves. Because there is a sin that dwelleth in us. There are transgressions that we go through day by day. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. So we need to lean on Jesus. We need to depend on Jesus for daily cleansing of our sins. Commenting on this, Sprout John says, this text has nothing to do with baptism, nor is it instituting a third, a third church ordinance of foot washing. Rather, Jesus meant, I must wash your sins by an atoning death, or you have no part with me. And Jesus mentions these two baths by saying that you who have a bath, you do not need to have a bath again. Why? If you put your faith in Jesus and confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus, he cleanses you from inside out. If your sins were as red as scarlet, he washes them as white as snow. But there is the daily submission to him. There is the daily going back to him and telling him, Lord, I have wronged in this way. I have erred in this way. I am in need of your forgiveness. I am asking to come again and cleanse me. 
It is like the example of a son who has been adopted in a family. There is nothing that will take that son's sonship from that family because he has been adopted. But that son will make mistakes. He might steal. He might go in wrong ways. And that might grieve his father. But that will never make him lose his sonship. But all this son needs to do to reestablish his relationship with the father is to go to his father daily, time after time, to say, Father, I'm sorry. And he reestablishes his relationship. So the cleansing that we do, the confessing of sins that we do, the coming before Christ that we do, it is not so that we can have a bath, so that we can be reclaimed afresh. No, it is for us to establish that relationship. It is for us to say, Lord, I am inadequate. I need you. On my own, I cannot carry on like this, but I need you. So confess your sins to each other so that you might be clean. Cleansing is necessary because of where we walk. Jesus would pray later that I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you deliver them from evil. We are clean, yes, but we walk in an unclean world. We need Christ's cleansing every day because of where we walk. You might be walking out there, you enter a shop, you see something that you shouldn't have done. Why? Because we are in a broken world. You might see something that will make you have a thought that you would normally not have. Why? Because we are in a broken world. And that is why we need to come before God time and time again for cleansing. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness, as John says in 1, 1 John 1. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to encourage you this morning. Christ has washed your sins. You are clean. When you walk, when you present yourself, know that in your heart that you are clean. But I want also to encourage you. Walk in humility. Come before him daily with confessions. Come before him and tell him how your day is. Come before him and express your desire for him to continue cleansing you from inside out. Love is not love only in word, but also in deed. Jesus is telling these disciples, take this as an example. Walk in this example. Don't just take these words for what they are, but act on them. He says in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He doesn't say that now if you agree with these things, you will be blessed. He says if you do them, you will be blessed. We are aiming to be a church that will, will not only affirm our beliefs, but a church that will have encounters with our Father. And we can have that encounter 
if we come before our Father and say, this is how I am, and then he will cleanse our hearts so that the line is clear between us and him. The line is clear for us to have the freedom to worship, for us to have the freedom to say, Holy Spirit, come. But if we don't make that channel, that line clear, as we are there worshiping, the enemy is whispering things in our ears. How can you raise your hands? Remember what you are doing yesterday? How can you raise your hands? Remember how you are thinking about your brother yesterday? And that stops us from accessing the fullness of the glory of God. So we are not just here to say, okay, I, am, I affirm I am a believer. It is Sunday. I have to go to church because that is what Christians do. But we are here to come and encounter God. As we break bread, as we hear testimonies, as prophetic words are given, as we worship, we are here. Our desire is to encounter God. Our desire is for there to be a channel that will be a communication between us and our Heavenly Father. And that is what Jesus was telling and teaching his disciples. You need cleansing day by day. That cleansing is not going to be done by you. It's only going to be done by Jesus Christ. And we need to go to him time and time again. So I have a question for you this morning. Or a couple. Do you constantly experience the love of God? If you don't, what is stopping you from experiencing the love of God? Examine your life. See, what is that that is stopping me from experiencing the love of God? Is it pride? Is it sin? Is it embarrassment? What is it that is stopping me? Because the love of God is in abundance. We have just had a time of worship this morning, a fantastic time where we have encountered God. But you might have been there and you don't feel nothing. You don't feel a connection between you and your creator. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what is blocking that challenge? And if the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, just come before him and confess and say, Lord, this is blocking me from accessing the fullness of your love. Release me from it. And he will this morning. I want to ask you also, do, I, do you constantly follow the example of Christ, of humble service? Are you the one who goes out there to reach out to others humbly and serve them? There are lots of opportunities to serve, not only in church, but in workplaces, in our families. Are you the one who is the lowest or is there the one who is the highest? I want you to reflect on that this week as we go. When someone will take you off the wrong way, when your boss will take you off the wrong way, I want you to remember, am I a servant or am I a master? And lastly, do you constantly come for, to Christ for cleansing of your sin? If you don't, you are open today. Come before him. And he will hear you. He will cleanse you from all wrongdoing. Shall we stand?
I know that each one of us, there are stuff, there are things that make us feel inadequate. There are things that make us feel we are not worthy. If you didn't take anything from this, just take this. Jesus is saying, you are clean. So you ask yourself, why do I call myself unclean when the Lord says I am clean? The one who made you clean says you are clean. But then he's calling you. Because you are clean, because of your position, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because of your position, then he is asking you, now walk. Walk to your position. Walk to where I have placed you to be. So just do some business with God this morning. The music team is going to come play a song, but just do some business with Jesus this morning. If there is a need in you that you feel, I want someone to stand with me and pray with me because of this need, because of this sin, because of this desire, because of these things that is blocking my channel of communication with God. There are guys here who will be happy to pray with you, but just individually reflect on the one who is greater, becoming the lowest of the lowest because of you, because of me. So walk. Walk towards that independence, that freedom, that place of worship and fellowship that he has already predestined you to be.